0: Coast of the cell. I invite you to listen to our program every Wednesday night at 7 30 p.m. I would also like to thank you for listening to community radio on WGRN LP 94.1 FM Columbus.
1: I'd like to welcome our listeners back. I hope everyone had a great weekend. We have a great show today. We're going to have a lot of fun with this particular guest. His name is Bob Petrakis. We met Bob when we started programming at WGRN, he is a great guy, and there's a lot of layers to him. Bob, Bob, how you doing, Bob? Let me get that out there I'm first. Doing, how you doing? I'm
2: doing well, considering there's a pandemic. I'm all right.
1: Okay. For the, this evening, we have our our co-host happens to be Mr. Ernest Kelly. Hello, Ernie. How you doing? Hello, 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 Bob. I have my co-host with me today, Mr. Ernest Kelly. How you doing, Ernie? Hello, please,
2: Bob, Stephanie. How's it going, Ernest? I'm hanging in there. All right.
1: <laughs> and then we also have with us Miss Stephanie Thomas. How you doing, Stephanie? I'm doing good. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show, Bob.
2: Oh, glad to be on.
1: I was looking at, you know, going through Google and everything, and I I swear to God, Bob must be 90 or 130 years old. He can't, I said, do all the stuff that he did, and you just, you know, in the time period that you did it in, you have a lot that you've accomplished, and I just feel that that was just great. It's rare to find yeah. someone that can get so much packed in at such well, a young age. Yeah,
2: part of the problem, though, is I did some of it 30 years ahead of time, like, Jeff Epstein. I was the first guy who really wrote about uh, him back in the 1990s. Is that the
1: first thing we get to talk about? <laughs> no, no, no,
2: no. Know. No, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> Les Wexner, uh, first to write about it, drugs coming into Rickenbacker Airlines, Southern Air Transport.
1: What? Oh, yeah, that's
2: that's a well-known story. I won an award for that one. A of them, I well,
1: think. Now, what's this about murder? Now, you know, because I didn't get all into it and everything when I found it on here. I said, what? So what's this about, since we're on the top, uh, this uh, the state of Ohio inspector general was looking at if he was involved, him and Wexner were involved in the death of a Columbus
2: attorney. Yeah, that's Arthur Shapiro, who was the attorney for Mr. Wexner and the Limited, who uh, died with a mob-style hit. They chased him down in a cemetery and shot him to death the day before he was supposed to meet with federal authorities uh, who wanted to talk to him about taxes and other uh, illegal activities.
1: Related to those, two.
2: Yeah, really, uh, you'd have to go back. Uh, You know, we used to talk about this on VKO uh, back there in the uh, 90s uh, when Bill Moss was around. He encouraged us... Yeah, and I think I was the only white uh, talk show host at the time. Bill uh, <laughs> kind of recruited me and said, "You know, uh, you need to say some stuff because you know we say it. They'll say we're making it up, even if it's true." <laughs> you say it, go, well, he's a professor. <laughs> so uh, yeah, now Bill's approach was, you know, uh, it, it opened up space, uh, you know, to talk about some of these issues, but really uh, the Wexner thing and Shapiro, a lot of that had to do with the largest welfare check ever written uh, in history, you know, uh, between uh, half a billion and a billion dollars in urban substructure that was uh, built to allow New Albany to get water and sewer uh, services from the city of Columbus. So it took a relatively poor city you know, with a quarter of its kids living in poverty, and you tax their families so that uh, Les Wexner didn't have to uh, spend a a billion dollars on uh, water and sewer, you know, putting in all that infrastructure uh, to deliver uh, water uh, to a suburb that's not part of Columbus. I mean, that's the odd thing. hadn't been done uh, since the 1950s when uh, Mayor Sensenbrenner, you know, said, you want water and sewer, you got to pay for it. You can't expect the people of Columbus, who are poorer than New Albany and Dublin and those places, to, to pay for your infrastructure. So uh, that's what that was about. Uh, also, you may recall, uh, Jerry Hammond was city council president. He ended up uh, resigning over alleged bribes. The major chord jazz club uh, paid to him, you know. Uh, through friends of uh, Les Wexner. So it was all a uh, very uh, corrupt period in uh, Columbus City history.
1: I know that I'm going to have to get a cup of coffee and everything and sit down with you, because, I mean, I really want to, I mean, I've just, when I saw, I was watching the the movies with Epstein and everything that he was doing with the, you know, child uh, pornography and uh this, this is what he was doing and then I like I said it came to I don't know if it was day two or three or part two or three of the show and all of a sudden part two. um part two, I seen you coming up through there. I said I had to rewind. I said, Is that who I think it is? I said, That's Bob. I got somebody right here that can give me all the info that I want. I said, That's Bob up there. Ernie, you got some questions for him before I
2: I <laughs> yeah, before you get us, before you get us all in trouble. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like I said, that's gonna be another cup of coffee.
2: <laughs> go ahead. Go, go ahead
3: Arnie. Yeah, Bob, when, when you guys uh investigate reporting like that, I would be just petrified. When you doing investigate reporting like that, personally, how I don't know how to ask it, but do you worry about you know them coming after you?
2: You know, uh, you know, I was more scared going uh, to Detroit Public Schools when I was a kid than I than I was with Jeff <laughs> Epstein. You know, I, you know, I went to Junior High, Harding Junior High in in Detroit, and you know, uh, and it was it was a tough neighborhood. Because all the kid, it was little Kentucky, and there was a black housing project, and all I was was one of the only Greeks, (laughs) Greek Americans who was caught in between (laughs) conflicts. So now, on a given day, I was more afraid uh, on every single day growing up. But again, you know, being from Detroit, you know, no one wanted to be you know uh, a punk or afraid. So uh, I, you know, I, I don't. Really have a lot of that part, but what's real weird is people would come up to me, and I could tell they were afraid for me. And that's the only time yeah. I start to get a little afraid yeah. going. These people are generally worried that someone's going to whack me. Yeah, but I, but I figure you know uh, you got to do what you got to do. You gotta, you know you got to tell the truth. You got to speak truth to power, and you know. <laughs> Uh, and I've, I've had threats. Uh, uh, T.G. Banks, Tommy Banks was here in town. His lawyer called me up, Richie Holloman said, you upset my client. He claims you wrote about him 17 straight weeks. <laughs> and You know, he's making <laughs> threats against you. So, now, it was funny, but uh, Earl Smith was the old sheriff, uh, Republican, crusty old, you know, uh, corrupt guy who sold badges And I used to go to him and say, you're corrupt, Earl. And Earl say, I'm the least corrupt. I'm not saying I'm not corrupt, but why don't you go (laughs) after the big money? Uh, And uh, so I called him up, you know, uh, and I got this threat. And uh, uh, he called up Chief Jackson who wasn't talking to me because I said he was uh, involved in illegal uh, operations, getting a steel contract. Uh, when he wasn't a, a real steel supplier. But uh I asked Earl Smith later, I said, Well, what happened? He goes, Well he had you know, he had Tommy picked up and they had a talking with him and he said, you know, if you shoot or kill Fitrakis, every everyone will believe everything. He's ferote. <laughs> <laughs> Best to ignore him and just call him a conspiracy theorist. <laughs>
1: I, I I skipped the part that I'm supposed to do, which is so that our listeners know who you are, because as soon as you said Epstein, I okay, because I just got, as soon as you said Epstein, I just forgot all about having you in
3: Right, but I'm like, our listeners right? probably don't even know who he is.
1: <laughs> okay, but yeah, I got him to my Epstein little kid. Go ahead, Steph, you can ask that question.
3: No, you're fine. Bob, I guess for our listeners, and I mean, I think we kind of, you know, we were so excited to have you on the show. We just jumped in and started asking questions and started talking about cups of coffee. Um, So um, if you don't mind mind just telling us a little bit about yourself um, and then also what motivated you to go into what you do um, so our listeners know a little bit more about you. Well, uh, I'm,
2: I'm originally from Detroit. Uh, I went over that uh, when I was <laughs> talking about going <laughs> to junior high there, right? Uh, I had the uh, uh, at least the historical insight of living through the 67 riot uh, in Detroit, which uh, in many ways changed me because, you know, uh, the city burnt down, 42 people died. And I can remember being over, you know, in this neighborhood that had a black housing project, you know, sort of, and uh, all these appellations. And I remember uh, a lot of these people from Kentucky, you know, the Burtons and the Slatons and uh, all saying, well, you know, why, why'd they burn down the city? And I'm thinking, everyone knows, because if they walk into this neighborhood, the police beat anyone who's black, right? They used to have the 330. <laughs> Right, that if you were a black male and it was, you know, past, you know, uh, dusk and you you came into an all-white community, and everyone knew the roads, you know, Evergreen, Greenfield. If you were the other side of that, you had a choice. You had to fight the big four, the four police officers, pour to a van, uh, or you had to take 30 days. It was 3.30. Uh, and they were honorable police then right? They give you a good time. You just had to fight them four on one. So uh, coming out of Detroit, (laughs) that was the 330. Everyone knew the 330. (laughs) And and I had a certain amount of respect. They didn't have much education, but you know, uh, they did let you go. So if you're willing to get out with them uh, four on one for three minutes, (laughs) you you didn't have to go to jail and get booked into the system uh wow and now a lot of the police officers will beat you and then charge you with felonious assault because your face kept hitting their fist wow wow that's that's crazy so uh come out of, uh detroit uh and then uh i i went off to college originally because i i wanted to play football but instead uh began to read books and well, Got a, ended up with a uh, Ph.D. from Wayne State, went back to Detroit, was determined, set up my own political commune during the Reagan years uh, and watched the city pretty much get burnt down for insurance money uh, and lived through the crack epidemic uh, in Detroit. And then uh, uh, I had an ex-wife that moved down here to work for Porter Wright, and I moved to Columbus, and there was an opening at Columbus State. They wanted a political scientist, and the old dean, David Hockenberry, said, you know, we wanted to hire somebody who was left. We didn't really have anyone who was a left-winger. And I saw your resume, and I said, this guy looks like he's a left-winger. I'd written a dissertation on the value of socialism in America. So it's the only time affirmative action worked for a, for a left-wing socialist like myself. I was a token. And they wanted a token left. <laughs> OK. So I did that. And then, uh, then I, uh, and then there was a guy in charge of Black Studies, an old friend of mine named Manning Marable, famous Black academic. He was running the Black Studies Department up at OSU. So I met with him when I moved down here and took the job. And I said, you know, where are all the progressives? And uh, Manning looked at me and said, you can be it if you volunteer. There's not much competition. <laughs> nobody wants to be a lefty so uh i said well what do i need to do he goes i don't know the only thing i could think of is this small newspaper called the free press you probably just ought to take it over you know before it dies." so that's when okay. i went to work became the editor and uh of course me and uh uh my now wife suzanne patzer uh you know we've been uh married for uh Uh, 21 years and been uh, working on the free press uh, together since 1991. So, you know, we built that paper up and won a lot of awards. And then I wrote for other papers like Columbus Live. And then I was getting hauled into so many grand juries because they wanted my sources. They want to know who was leading, who was saying what because I was reporting on illegalities. I decided I needed to go to law school. So I took, uh, again, uh, a break, uh, sabbatical, and went off to law school and got a uh, doctorate from Ohio State.
1: If you guys excuse me for a minute, we need to take an identification break.
3: Hi, this is Ernest Kelly with the Faith Thomas Foundation. You're listening to The Cell on 94.1 FM, WGRN, and WGRN.org worldwide. Listen to us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m.
2: Uh, And uh, I've used it to write a variety of books uh, over the years, most of the books. 2004 election, I came to sort of national prominence because we challenged the vote count in Ohio. And there was the first debate in the history of the nation in the Senate for two hours. They debated on, uh, for the first time ever, to sit the delegates, Republican uh, electors from Ohio, because of visible corruption. So, uh I've written about seven books in that area. Uh and it's still an issue. We have non-transparent elections and the issue keeps coming up over and over again. So that's sort of my life in a, in a quick nutshell.
1: So, but you're an attorney too, correct?
2: Correct. Yeah, I'm a licensed attorney and uh yeah, I did uh, uh I I did was one of the four attorneys in Mossby uh, Bush that tried to overturn the 2004 election in uh, Ohio. And I also was Jill Stein's recount attorney in 2016 when we tried to recount the vote and Trump fought us because we didn't believe he won the election. Three state recount, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. But I, I've so done a lot do of cases involving police brutality as well. So, what
1: did you think about the marches that we had in Columbus in regard to George Floyd? How did that? I guess I want to say, did you did your uh, clients go up? Yeah, the uh, we
3: we
2: we had a half dozen uh, clients here at the Tragus Goodell Newton. Uh, uh we we primarily um, uh, moved in uh heavily when the police began to overcharge uh, illegally overcharge and commit perjury. Uh, both our clients had a similar background. Uh, they were young uh you know middle class black men who uh, were coming down for the demonstration, saw the police beating people, you know, smashing them with pike, turned around to leave quickly. And because they were black and moving quickly, uh, both of them were stopped, beaten, uh, and uh, arrested. So, uh, wow. and, you know, one of them was charged with inciting a riot. You know, I'm thinking, okay, by by running quickly away, uh, in, in uh, some of the cases, they had to drop the charges. Because in this case, uh, I was it was one of those running while black. They actually were looking for another black guy who was running. But apparently, uh, our client would do, even though he looked, you know, was dressed completely different and looked nothing like the guy they wanted. And, and of course, a lot of macing and beatings occurred. But again, uh, I work. I have a book of readings, uh, uh, an anthology of uh, articles uh, called "Cops Cover Up and Corruptions," uh, which really looks at the police. My perspective is, you know, an obvious one now, but, uh, you know, I've held it, you know, ever since I witnessed the riots in Detroit. And, you know, from what I've seen, uh, uh, is that, you know, the police who are overwhelmingly white, who don't live, uh, you know, usually in the county, are like an occupying, you know, force. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, you know, all of it uh, has, it's a, you know, an, a new form of apartheid, you know, uh, uh Alexander called it, right, the new Jim Crow. But if you, you look at it, it's a caste system. Americans, uh, you know, if you look at Native Americans and you look at uh, African Americans, we created a caste system, you know, exploited their resources, labor, uh, And then, uh, you know, tried to claim it was all equal. So uh, uh, it's remnants of of a battle that, you know, uh, needed to be fought. And at a certain uh, point, a lot of these uh, young kids, you know, I can remember being out there for decades, you know, I've been, I've been protesting since, you know, uh, the early mid 70s. And I've been out there when it's been real lean, and there's been a handful of us and Question is, you know, where we going to get beaten or where we going to run? But now there's just a lot of young uh, young people out there, you know, that aren't going to put up with it. That their generation's not going to
3: tolerate
2: this insanity, and it's going to stop. So I give them tremendous credit,
3: Bob. Since we're on the topic, and I feel like that's been um, thankfully just the awareness of the movement of Black Lives Matter and um, just the awareness of police brutality and, and racism. um, just hearing your story and just how much you were involved back in the day. how like, what are your thoughts? and what do you do you feel like we're making progress, just from being part in? those riots back in the day to now seeing the way people are just using their platform and, um, using their voices to just create change. Um, how do you feel about that? And how much change do you feel like we have, how, how much progress have we made since you've witnessed that in the past? Well, you know, when,
2: uh, and you can look at it a lot of different ways, you know, back in 1992, when we tried to seize the Santa Maria and, you know, when, when, well, Well, the changes over time, uh, you know, clearly there's a lot more people, they're a lot more sensitive, uh, and I think this new generation has made tremendous progress, but there's also a degree of polarization. You know, we haven't seen since, you know, the late uh, 60s, since that period from 68, really, to to 72. But, um, you know, we still have a tremendous amount of hate. I'm uh, co-writing a book called The History of Hate in Ohio, Ohio State University Press, that deals with a lot of this. But uh, uh, one thing that scares me is, you know, this backlash by rural Ohio and the the rural uh, Midwest. Back in the mid-'90s, the free press uh, published the names of the eight leaders of the Klan and Nazi Uh, in Ohio. And we also took, uh, we rented buses and uh, took them to their house. Five of the eight fled the state, two weren't home, and there was only one that was even home. Uh, uh, We were mobilizing, right? And you got to continue to mobilize. So uh, a, uh, what I'm happy with is the amount of uh, these young kids with no real history of demonstrating, going down and being willing uh, to take a rest, uh, even though they don't deserve it, even though they haven't done anything wrong. And uh, I think it's caused change. I mean, we've passed uh, a civilian review board. Uh, the mayor has actually been forced, uh, which hardly ever happens. You know to take a stand uh on this uh and i considered it a great victory when the police maced joyce fady and uh again uh other elected officials it was, you know, i'm glad the elected officials okay. were down there uh for once i've taken my share of mace over the years i mean i can still remember covering a police okay. brutality rally and the police rolled up and maced me <laughs> It was like I'm thinking they, you're supposed to be low key yeah. when you you know when the other side claims you're brutal you're not supposed to show up in front of the cameras and brutalize people. Right.
1: So you how many how many times have you been um, beaten uh, by the
2: police since
1: that during your time and um, protesting and things like that?
2: Oh, the you know uh, dozens. Uh, I, I've been arrested. The good news is I've been arrested about 40 times. They asked me that when I was applying. Wow. But uh, they, they never charged me, right? Because, you know, and they take me into, they used to take me into protective custody. If <laughs> I tell them <laughs> is that they were the last people I wanted to protect me, you know, because it sure sort of seemed like they were just putting cuffs on really tight and jerking me around. <laughs> you know? And again, I won't even tell the listeners, when you used to go to the Klan and Nazi rallies, they'd try to keep you away. So you had to pass through these metal detester, uh, detectors, and they give certain body parts a little twist uh, to discourage you from going in. I mean, so <laughs> no one had to convince me to please, right? You know, it could be brutal. <laughs> when needed.
1: So how long have you been you said you've been part of the Columbus uh, Free Press for how long now?
2: Uh I started writing for him in nineteen ninety one. In ninety two I took over as the co publisher uh with Mary Jo Kilroy, later a congresswoman. And then in ninety three I became because we didn't have much money, I became the editor in chief uh as well as the co publisher. And Suzanne became the managing editor We were working on it together, and uh, uh, she also, you know, became uh, a board member. So, uh, and that's uh, so full time uh, since '91. And really, me and Suzanne, you know, since uh, '93, have uh, run the Free Press, which is really part of an institute called the Institute of Contemporary Journalism, which does many things, and uh, uh, partly, uh, you know, Uh, helping to establish the uh, radio stations that are now independent entities, WGRN, right,
0: 94.1. Well, it's that time again. As they say, time flies when you're having fun. To learn more about Bob Fortracas, you can Google him and see some of the exciting things that he got himself involved in. You can also listen to Bob on WSMZ 103 FM, Fight Back, WGRN 94.1 FM, The Other Side of the News, The Frachekas Vows, which airs on Thursdays from eight to nine. And this is a show that you can call in and participate in on. So you can dial 614-224-7830. You can also learn more about Bob on the Facebook, and Free Press. We hope that you tune in next week for part two with Bob Fertrakis. Peace out. The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to this cell. We broadcast on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is FaithThomasFDN.